Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ...by the misfortune that fell upon her a short time since. One of such a nature that I am more ready to weep over it than to describe it. For your highnesses must know that, going a few days back to kiss her hands and receive her benediction, approbation, and permission for this third sally, I found her altogether a different being from the one I sought. I found her enchanted and changed from a princess into a peasant, from fair to foul, from an angel into a devil, from fragrant to pestiferous, from refined to clownish, from a dignified lady into a jumping tomboy, and, in a word, from Delcinia del Toboso into a coarse Sayego wench. "'God bless me!' said the duke aloud at this. "'Who can have done the world such an injury? Who can have robbed it of the beauty that gladdened it, of the grace and gaiety that charmed it, of the modesty that shed a luster upon it? "'Who?' replied Don Quixote. "'Who could it be but some malignant enchanter of the many that persecute me out of envy, that accursed race born into the world to obscure and bring to naught?' the achievements of the good, and glorify and exalt the deeds of the wicked. Enchanters persecute me still, and enchanters will continue to persecute me until they have sunk me and my lofty chivalry in the deep abyss of oblivion, and they injure and wound me where they know I feel it most. For to deprive a knight-errant of his lady is to deprive him of the eyes he sees with, of the sun that gives him light, of the food whereby he lives. Many a time before I have said it, and I say it now once more, a knight-errant without a lady is like a tree without leaves, a building without a foundation, or a shadow without the body that causes it. There is no denying it, said the Duchess, but still, if we are to believe the history of Don Quixote that has come out here lately with general applause, it is to be inferred from it, if I mistake not, that you never saw the Lady Dulcinea, and that the said lady is nothing in the world but an imaginary lady, one that you yourself begot and gave birth to in your brain, and adorned with whatever charms and perfections you chose. There is a good deal to be said on that point, said Don Quixote. God knows whether there be any Dulcinea or not in the world, or whether she is imaginary or not imaginary. These are things the proof of which must not be pushed to extreme lengths. I have not begotten nor given birth to my lady, though I behold her as she needs must be, a lady who contains in herself all the qualities to make her famous throughout the world, beautiful without blemish, dignified without haughtiness, tender and yet modest, gracious from courtesy and courteous from good breeding, and lastly, of exalted lineage, because beauty shines forth and excels with a higher degree of perfection upon good blood than in the fair of lowly birth. That is true, said the Duke, but Signor Don Quixote will give me leave to say what I am constrained to say by the story of his exploits that I have read, from which it is to be inferred that, granting there is a Dulcinea in El Toboso, or out of it, 
and that she is in the highest degree beautiful as you have described her to us, as regards the loftiness of her lineage, she is not on a par with the Orianas, Alastragerias, Madasimus, or others of that sort, with whom, as you well know, the histories abound. To that I may reply, said Don Quixote, that Dulcinea is the daughter of her own works, and that virtues rectify blood, and that lowly virtue is more to be regarded and esteemed than exalted vice. Dulcinea, besides, has that within her that may raise her to be a crowned and sceptred queen, for the merit of a fair and virtuous woman is capable of performing greater miracles, and virtually, though not formally, she has in herself higher fortunes. I protest, Signor Don Quixote, said the Duchess, that in all you say you must go cautiously and lead in hand, as the saying is. Henceforth I will believe myself, and I will take care that every one in my house believes, even my lord the duke, if needs be, that there is a Dulcinea in El Toboso, and that she is living to-day, and that she is beautiful and nobly born, and deserves to have such a knight as Signor Don Quixote in her service. And that is the highest praise that it is in my power to give her, or that I can think of. But I cannot help entertaining a doubt, and, having a certain grudge against Sancho Panza, the doubt is this, that the aforesaid history declares that the said Sancho Panza, when he carried a letter on your worship's behalf to the said Lady Dulcinea, found her sifting a sack of wheat, and more by token it says it was red wheat, a thing which makes me doubt the loftiness of her lineage. To this Don Quixote made answer, Signora, your highness must know that everything, or almost everything, that happens me transcends the ordinary limits of what happens to other knights errant, whether it be that it is directed by the inscrutable will of destiny or by the malice of some jealous enchanter. Now it is an established fact that all or most famous knights errant have some special gift, one, that of being proof against enchantment, another, that of being made of such invulnerable flesh that he cannot be wounded, as was the famous Roland, one of the twelve peers of France, of whom it is related that he could not be wounded except in the sole of his left foot, and that it must be with the point of a stout pin and not with any other sort of weapon whatever. And so, when Bernardo del Carpio slew him at Roncesvalles, finding that he could not wound him with steel, he lifted him up from the ground in his arms and strangled him, calling to mind seasonably the death which Hercules inflicted on Antaeus, the fierce giant that they say was the son of Terra. I would infer from what I have mentioned that perhaps I may have some gift of this kind, not that of being invulnerable, because experience has many times proved to me that I am of tender flesh and not at all impenetrable, nor that of being proof against enchantment, for I have already seen myself thrust into a cage in which all the world would not have been able to confine me except by force of enchantments. But as I delivered myself from that one, I am inclined to believe that there is no other that can hurt me. And so these enchanters, seeing that they cannot exert their vile craft against my person, revenge themselves on what I love most, and seek to rob me of life by maltreating that of Dulcinea in whom I live. And therefore I am convinced that when my squire carried my message to her, they changed her into a common peasant girl, engaged in such a mean occupation as sifting wheat. I have already said, however, that that wheat was not red wheat, nor wheat at all, but grains of orient pearl. And as proof of all this, I must tell your highness that, coming to El Toboso a short time back, I was altogether unable to discover the palace of Dulcinea, and that the next day, though Sancho my squire saw her in her own proper shape, which is the fairest in the world, to me she appeared to be a coarse, ill-favored farm-wench, and by no means a well-spoken one, she who is propriety itself. And so, as I am not, and, so far as one can judge, cannot be enchanted, she it is that is enchanted, that is smitten, that is altered, changed, and transformed. In her have my enemies revenged themselves upon me, 
and for her shall I live in ceaseless tears until I see her in her pristine state. I have mentioned this lest anybody should mind what Sancho said about Dulcinea's winnowing or sifting, for as they changed her to me it is no wonder if they changed her to him. Dulcinea is illustrious and well-born, and of one of the gentle families of El Toboso, which are many ancient and good. Therein most assuredly not small is the share of the peerless Dulcinea through whom her town will be famous and celebrated in ages to come, as Troy was through Helen, and Spain through La Cava, though with a better title and tradition. For another thing, I would have your graces understand that Sancho Panza is one of the drollest squires that ever served Nightarant. Sometimes there is a simplicity about him so acute that it is an amusement to try and make out whether he is simple or sharp. He has mischievous tricks that stamp him rogue, and blundering ways that prove him a booby. He doubts everything and believes everything. When I fancy he is on the point of coming down headlong from sheer stupidity, he comes out with something shrewd that sends him up to the skies. After all, I would not exchange him for another squire, though I were given a city to boot, and therefore I am in doubt whether it will be well to send him to the government your highness has bestowed upon him, though I perceive in him a certain aptitude for the work of governing, so that, with a little trimming of his understanding, he would manage any government as easily as the king does his taxes, and moreover, we know already ample experience that it does not require much cleverness or much learning to be a governor, for there are a hundred about us that scarcely know how to read and govern like gerfalcons. The main point is that they should have good intentions and be desirous of doing right in all things, for they will never be at a loss for persons to advise and direct them in what they have to do, like those knight governors who, being no lawyers, pronounce sentences with the aid of an assessor. My advice to him will be to take no bribe and surrender no right, and I have some other little matters in reserve that shall be produced in due season for Sancho's benefit and the advantage of the island he is to govern. The Duke, Duchess, and Don Quixote had reached this point in their conversation, when they heard voices and a great hubbub in the palace, and Sancho burst abruptly into the room, all glowing with anger, with a straining cloth by way of a bib, and followed by several servants, or, more properly speaking, kitchen boys and other underlings, one of whom carried a small trough full of water, that from its color and impurity was plainly dishwater. The one with the trough pursued him and followed him everywhere he went, endeavoring with the utmost persistence to thrust it under his chin, while another kitchen-boy seemed anxious to wash his beard. "'What is all this, brothers?' asked the Duchess. "'What is it? What do you want to do to this good man? Do you forget he is a governor-elect?' To which the barber kitchen-boy replied, "'The gentleman would not let himself be washed as is customary, and as my lord and the senior his master had been.' "'Yes, oh, I will,' said Sancho in a great rage. But I like to be with cleaner towels, clearer lie, and not such dirty hands. For there is not so much difference between me and my master that he should be washed with angel's water and I with devil's lie. The customs of countries and princes' palaces are only good so long as they give no annoyance. But the way of washing they have here is worse than doing penance. I have a clean beard, and I don't require to be refreshed in that fashion, and whoever comes to wash me or touch a hair of my head, I mean to say my beard, with all due respect be it said, I'll give him a punch that will leave my fist sunk in his skull. For the ceremonies and soapings of this sort are more like jokes than polite attentions of one's host. The Duchess was ready to die with laughter when she saw Sancho's rage and heard his words. But it was no pleasure to Don Quixote to see him in such a sorry trim, with the dingy towel about him and the hangers-on of the kitchen all around him. So making a low bow to the Duke and Duchess, as if to ask their permission to speak, he addressed the rout in dignified tone. Hello, gentlemen! You let that youth alone and go back to where you came from, 
or anywhere else if you like. My squire is as clean as any other person, and those troughs are as bad as narrow thin-necked jars to him. Take my advice and leave him alone, for neither he nor I understand joking. Sancho took a word out of his mouth and went on. Nay, let them come and try their jokes on the country bumpkin, for it's about as likely I'll stand them as that it's now midnight. Let them bring me a comb here or what they please and curry this beard of mine, and if they get anything out of it that offends against cleanliness, let them clip me to the skin. Upon this, the Duchess, laughing all the while, said, Sancho Panza is right, and always will be in all he says. He is clean, and, as he says himself, he does not require to be washed, and if our ways do not please him, he is free to choose. Besides, you promoters of cleanliness have been excessively careless and thoughtless. I don't know if I ought not to say audacious, to bring troughs, and wooden utensils, and kitchen dish-clouts instead of basins and jugs of pure gold and towels of Holland, to such a person and such a beard. But after all, you are ill-conditioned and ill-bred, and spiteful as you are, you cannot help showing the grudge you have against the squires of knights-errant. The impudent servitors, and even the seneschal who came with them, took the duchess to be speaking in earnest, so they removed the straining cloth from Sancho's neck, and with something like shame and confusion of face went off all of them and left him. Whereupon he, seeing himself safe out of that extreme danger, as it seemed to him, ran and fell on his knees before the duchess, saying, from great ladies great favours may be looked for. This which your grace has done me to-day cannot be requited with less than wishing I was dubbed a knight-errant, to devote myself all the days of my life to the service of so exalted a lady. I am a labouring man, my name is Sancho Panza, I am married, I have children, and I am serving as a squire. If in any one of these ways I can serve your highness, I will not be longer in obeying than your grace in commanding. It is easy to see, Sancho replied the duchess, that you have learned to be polite in the school of politeness itself. I mean to say, it is easy to see that you have been nursed in the bosom of Signor Don Quixote, who is, of course, the cream of good breeding and flower of ceremony, or ceremony, as you would say yourself. Fair be the fortunes of such a master and such a servant, the one the sinecure of knight-errantry, the other the star of squirely fidelity. Rise, Sancho, my friend. I will repay your courtesy by taking care that my lord the duke makes good to you the promised gift of the government as soon as possible. With this the conversation came to an end, and Don Quixote retired to take his midday sleep. But the duchess begged Sancho, unless he had a very great desire to go to sleep, to come and spend the afternoon with her and her damsels in a very cool chamber. Sancho replied that, though he certainly had the habit of sleeping four or five hours in the heat of the day in summer, to serve her excellence he would try with all his might not to sleep even one that day, and that he would come in obedience to her command, and with that he went off. The duke gave fresh orders with respect to treating Don Quixote as a knight-errant, without departing even in the smallest particular from the style in which, as the stories tell us, they used to treat the knights of old. End of chapter 32 Recording by Phil Surrett, Ottawa, Ontario